So I was reading the other day. Oy, oy, oy. I was reading in Zephaniah. And it's Zephaniah 1, verse 12. I got a new Bible. My husband, I, I carry my giant, like, 80-pound study Bible with me everywhere I go. Yeah, right there. She knows. And I only, and Mike's like, you're bringing, why do you bring your study Bible? No wonder all your bags are breaking. They were break, the, the handles are breaking. I'm like, I don't have, all my Bibles are study Bibles. So guess what my husband got me? This tiny little Bible. All the books are in it. I checked. I can't even believe it. I was like, is the New Testament here too? It is. So thanks, Mike. Now I won't break any more bags, hopefully. Okay, so Zephaniah 1 verse 12. I don't know if you've had the pleasure of reading through First and Second Kings or the Old Testament, but I just finished reading First and Second Kings, and so I was reading through all of the kings and all of the all of the mess, really. <laughs> And Zephaniah is in the Bible. Uh, it's right after Habakkuk. In my Bible, it's page 878. If you have the same Bible, that's what page it will be. So I was reading the minor prophets because these prophets, I was kind of going through the times, the kings I just read. I was about to go into Daniel because that's where Second Kings ends when Nebuchadnezzar can't, you know. And so I was reading Zephaniah and I had never read Zephaniah before. And I was really glad I did because it messed me up in chapter one. So one verse 12 says, and it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. First thing that jumped out to me was that the Lord is going to, first of all, he's talking to his people because these people say in their hearts, the Lord, right? They're not talking to Buddha. They're talking about the Lord, right? So he's talking to his people, his people that are settled in complacency in their hearts. And the fact that he has to search with a lamp tells me it's hidden. It's hidden in the dark and he's searching our hearts with his light to reveal the complacency. You love me, remember? I'm not saying that God's gonna come down and punish you. But I'm saying your complacency is a punishment in itself. Jesus said, I, I'm not here to punish you. I don't have to punish you because your sin is punishment. God hates complacency. He hates it. As I was reading this, I was reminded of, I used to, I used to have dreams that probably all women have at some point in their life where their husband's cheating on them. Thank you, God, I don't have these dreams anymore, but I used to have them rather frequently. And Mike always knew because I was mad at him the next day. <laughs> He's like, did you have another dream? I'm like, just tell me you love me and you're faithful. You're not doing anything. Let me check your phone. Like, uh, it was crazy. So I was remembering the dreams that I would have, and they were the dreams that I've always had my whole life are vivid, they're real, I can smell, I can feel the air temperature, I can remember colors, I can remember everything of my dreams, and I can feel everything. And therefore I like to only have good dreams because the bad ones suck. And thank you God I don't have bad dreams anymore. But 
these dreams were the worst because not because Mike cheated on me, but because in the dreams I would follow him around and I would be like, what have you done? What like, what, why did you do this? How could you do this to us? And in the dream, he was completely indifferent towards me. He did not care. He was like, cause I wanted to, or he'd be sitting on a couch with a girl and I'm like, come home. And I'm like screaming at him, trying to get him to care, trying to get him to see me. And he's, and he's like, well, this is my girlfriend now. Like, this is what you know, I don't know what to tell you. And I'm like, don't you care? Don't you love me? And he's like, I'm, I like my girlfriend. And I'm going to tell you right now, his indifference toward me in that dream hurt me way worse than the, than the mistress, than the affair, the indifference, the complacency that he displayed in those dreams. He's never done this. Thank you, Jesus. Mike would never do that. He would Never, ever. He's not even capable. But his complacency and his indifference toward me in the dream was devastating. And when I was reading this, I immediately remembered those dreams I haven't had in years. And it was like the Lord was saying, that's how I feel. That's how I feel. When my people that I love, my bride is off prostituting herself, and I say, I convict her heart. I put people in her way. I put scriptures on billboards. I put, you know, the chosen on her TV. I speak through the pastor at church. I speak through her friends. I try, I'm trying and trying and trying. And all the while, she just doesn't care. She's indifferent. That was the, God showed me the pain. And I only think he showed me a measure because I know that God loves so much bigger than I'm capable of. So I know that he's hurts so much bigger than I'm capable of. <sighs> Complacency. If you don't know, I really do think I wrote that one down. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I had to Google it because I was like, I just want to get for sure. It seems when I Google words that I didn't know English before. So I get to learn. Complacent is marked by self-satisfaction, especially when accompanied by an unawareness of actual dangers or deficiencies, also known as self-satisfied. So men who are complacent in their hearts, who are settled in complacency, they say to themselves, God won't do good and he won't do evil. He's not doing anything. Me and God have an understanding. I don't bother him. He doesn't bother me. I'm, I do my life. He does his thing. That's complacency. That is not having an awareness of the actual dangers of, of allowing your heart to sit there. That is not being aware of your deficiencies because if that's where your heart is, I promise you you're deficient. You're deficient in so much. You're deficient in peace, in joy, in love, in connection, in giftings, in power. You're, you're deficient in all of those things. But more importantly, you're deficient in a relationship with the lover of your soul. The one who loves you more than any person in your whole life could ever love you. 
Think of the one person that, that has loved you the most in your whole life. That is nothing compared to how God feels about you. Mike always, when he came back from Afghanistan, he always said, complacency kills. It must have been like an army thing. I don't know. I had never heard it before him. And then he was involved in a car accident where a young man lost his life. And the thing he kept saying, that really jacked him up for several years until the Lord, thank you, God, has healed his heart. And he's been able to forgive himself and move forward and whatever. He's obviously wonderful. But the thing that he kept saying after that accident, he said it to me probably a million times was, complacency kills Sarah, complacency kills Sarah. And I had no idea what he was talking about. I was like, okay, I don't, I want to help. I don't know. And he's like, no, you don't understand in the army. He was a truck driver in the army. He said, we were trained to go around the truck. Not once. How many times did you have to go around the truck to check? Not even just once, but at least two times, they would have to go around and check the truck. They would check for people hiding. They would check for, you know, bombs. They would check for whatever you would check for in Afghanistan. Terrible things that could get people killed. And if you don't do your job and you don't check thoroughly, people get killed, right? Complacency kills. If you become, and the thing is that it, when he served in Iraq, that was a, he came at the end of Iraq, so he didn't see really any combat in Iraq. So that was easy to get complacent because you check the truck, you check the truck, but you're not seeing anything. You're not doing, there's nothing happening. It's the end. Everybody seems peaceful and great. So you kind of could easily get lazy and be like, oh, what do I need to check the truck for? There's not going to be anything there. There wasn't there anything there the last, you know, six months. There's not going to be anything there today. So on the day that he had his accident, he did. He was driving a semi truck, and he. What what happened? Is this okay? I'm sorry. I'm just not. It's. Are you gonna? Okay. You can be mad at me, and we'll just talk about it. I love you. So say no now. Okay. He's gonna. Okay. Uh, this is a good opportunity to deal with offense. So, he was driving a semi truck and a. A young man who had autism had climbed underneath the truck, and um, apparently he did this was something he did often. His family had said, and he was looking at you know he was intrigued with the the stuff that you see under a truck, the parts and stuff. And um, he had told before he passed away he had told the person that found him that he was just trying to take a nap. But he was hidden. Mike couldn't see him just from walking from the building out to his truck. And that day, he's, he's like, I should have checked. I should have checked. The cab of this truck that where you step up, it's like this far off the ground. He would have had to gotten on the ground and looked under to see the boy. So obviously, this was an accident. It was, he would have never, he had no idea that it even happened until later. But to him, complacency killed. To him, he should have been vigilant. He should have done exactly what he did in Afghanistan. He should have, which, why? He's not in Afghanistan. He was in Hinesville, Georgia, right? But in our lives, complacency kills. In your walk with the Lord, complacency kills. Complacency distances you from God. It actually separates you from God. 
I'm going to give you some scriptures so you believe what I'm saying. Revelation 3, starting in 15. This is Jesus. This is in red. Jesus is talking to the church in Laodicea. Is that how you say it? That feels right. Okay. This church was a, was a wealthy church. This was a wealthy area. This was the America, okay? This was the United States church, essentially, if he, you know, that's, it doesn't say that. I'm saying that. They were comfortable. They had, they did, they weren't living in poverty. They had money. They had wealth. They had pretty clothes. They had their, you know, they were very comfortable, So Jesus says, starting in 15, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy. I have need of nothing. What do I need Jesus for? I can can take care of myself. What was complacency? I'm self-satisfied. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Oof. Here's the good news. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eyes salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. He's saying, I love you. I love you. I'm, I'm letting you know this. I'm bringing correction to you because I love you and I don't want you to stay here. I don't want to vomit you out of my mouth. I love you. So he's, he's saying, be zealous and repent. Repentance is really good. So, okay, let's look up Hebrews 6, verse 11. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He wants us to hold on to our hope until the end. Do not become sluggish. Pastor Shar taught, she's taught how many times about being slimed or being slothful. We're going to jump to Revelation 2, verse 2. I know your works. Again, he said this to Laodicea, right? I know your works. Your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and not and have found them liars. These are all good things, right? He's doing all, they're doing all the things that you're supposed to do that God said. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Hey, gold medal, right? Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. 
repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. There's that again. Thanks, God. The word indifferent means to have no particular sympathy or interest, to be unconcerned, neither good nor bad. You just don't really care either way. And if we're going to be really, really honest with each other, um, I don't think I'm the only one in this room has, who has felt indifferent towards God at one time or another or who has felt complacent in my walk with God at one time or another. But in fact, I got saved when I was 14. And it wasn't soon after that I lived a whole life as if God didn't even exist. I believed he did. I never stopped believing that he was there. I, I believed that he died for my sins. I believed that he rose again. I believed that he loved me. And I believed that he lived in a far off galaxy. And I was here to make my life the best that I could. And in my own strength, self-sustaining. And... I tried. I tried everything. I didn't, I didn't want my life to be in the pit. I didn't want my life to be a mess. I didn't want to have a terrible reputation. I didn't want men to call me used meat. That really happened. I just told my friends that story actually yesterday. That really happened. My best friend told me that. That, that was my reputation. That was who I had become because I was trying to make my life on my own. I was trying to make something of myself, something of my life all on my own. I had gotten pregnant at 16 and I was told, you really should give your baby up for adoption because that kid will never have a life. You will never have a life. This is the only way that you and that child will ever become anything is if you give this baby up for adoption. And I tell you what, if you've met my mom, you probably know what I was thinking. I was like, oh, watch me. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to show you. And that became the next however many years of my life, trying to prove myself, trying to make myself, trying to prove to the world that I was something more than a 16-year-old high school dropout who got pregnant. But in all my trying, in all of my efforts, in all of my jobs and my failed relationships and everything, all I wound up with was so much brokenness. I was so broken. I was empty. There was nothing left. I had nothing left. I didn't live as if God existed. I believed that he, that he did, and I believed that if I had died right, that, well, actually, I'll be honest with you, I believed the rapture was going to happen. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go party tonight, and then I'm just going to apologize to God really quick in case he comes back tonight. And that was my attitude. But here's the thing, and I'd be like, I'd do whatever, party and whatever. At the end of the night, I'd be like, Jesus, I'm so sorry for what I just did. Forgive me. If you come back, take me with you. I had read the Left Behind books. <laughs> but what I didn't read was the Bible. What I didn't read was the Word of God. What I didn't know was that Jesus said that, that he actually looks at my heart. I heard uh, Daniel Kalinda, I was listening to a message of his, and he said, Jesus doesn't speak English. He's looking for your heart. He's looking for your repentance. When the prodigal came home, the father came and started throwing him a party before he even said he was sorry. He didn't say he was sorry. 
The woman, when she was the, the adulterous woman, when she was thrown at his feet, God, Jesus forgave her. She didn't say she was sorry, but he knew their heart. He knows your heart. So you can say the words, you can read the prayers, you can come to church, you can go to your cell group, you can do all the right things and check all the right boxes. But at the end of the day, where is your heart? At the end of the day, you can't hide that. Hebrews says that we are all bare and naked before him. Basically, uh, your heart's on the outside of your body and he can see it and he knows where you stand. So you can lie to yourself all day. And I did. I lied to myself for years. But you can't lie to him. It's really, it's really hard to live in a fantasy land of lying to yourself and thinking that Jesus is buying it. Because he doesn't. And it's breaking his heart. Do you know that God feels? I mean, it's easy to believe that Jesus feels because we read that Jesus wept. Do you know that your, your Father in heaven feels? Do you know that Holy Spirit feels? Do you know the Holy Spirit isn't a mystical mist? He's a person, and he actually feels. You know how I know? Because the Bible says you can grieve the Holy Spirit. It says don't grieve the Holy Spirit, so don't do it. All throughout the, the Bible, it talks about our father being jealous. He's a jealous God. Even in Zephaniah, if you keep reading, it says, similarly, he's going to burn them all down with the fire of his jealousy. His jealousy. Deuteronomy 4.24 says, The Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. This is right after he got done. I think he just... He just was talking about idols. There's another scripture in Exodus where he's talking about um, he had just given the Ten Commandments. And he's like, don't, don't fall in love with these idols. Don't pick up idols. Don't bow to these idols because the Lord your God is a jealous God. Have you ever felt jealousy? My mom used to say, that's a green-eyed monster. And I'm telling you, it's a monster. I was a self-proclaimed jealous person. And I actually have green eyes, so I was the most jealous, which is probably why I got mad at Mike over my dreams. Jealousy is not the feeling that I would choose to feel ever. It is excruciating. It is so painful. It is agonizing. It is sorrowful. It's like you can't even really fully put an explanation on it. It's like sad and mad and frustrated and helpless and hopeless all in one little bundle of feelings. And this is what God feels when we continue to turn to our idols and continue to keep our hearts from him. You love me. I love you guys. Okay, I'm almost done. This is very, I'm just wrapping up. This is really good. Okay, so. Man, I wanted to find a different translation. If you ever, if you have your Bible, I don't know what translation you have. It's good in all of them. Songs 8, 6, and 7 talks about 
Um, I set you as a seal upon my heart, as a seal on my arm. And it talks about your love is as strong as death and your jealousy is as demanding as the grave. And it, that's his love for you. It's strong, it's powerful, and it means something. Okay. Hebrews 10. This is going to be my last scripture, and then I'm going to tell you a cool story that I heard Rein Reinhard Bonnke tell me. I mean, he didn't know me because I was watching a video, but I felt like he was telling me. I feel like he's my friend because he's so personable. But anyways. Okay. Hebrews 10, starting in 19. Actually, no, we're not going to start in 19. We're going to start in... 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. What is the confession of your hope? That is when you said, I confess, I love Jesus. I want him to be my Lord and Savior. We hold fast to that. Jesus is our hope, right? And we confess that he is our hope. He is our salvation. We hold fast to that without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We cannot forsake gathering together. And I have a lot of people that I love who are Christians who will not go to church. Well, Jesus is in my heart. He's not in a building. Pretty sure that was also in a movie. And I believed it for a while because I saw it in a movie. That was a secular movie. I don't even remember what it was. But I'm telling you right here, that just said, we need each other. We need each other to be honest. We need each other to exhort us. Do you know what exhort means? It means strongly encourage, to strongly urge. Hey, I know things are really tough right now, but how's your prayer life? Have you been spending time with Jesus? I haven't seen you at church. I, you haven't come to group in weeks. I know things aren't going very well, but how, you know, where are you with Jesus? Oh, I'm, you know, me and Jesus are fine. Okay, then, but your life is all falling apart. Okay, your finances are in the toilet. You know, we know about tithing. Have you, like, where are we there? We need to hold each other accountable. This is the church. This is what we do. We hold each other up. We help each other out. We speak truth in love because we love each other. Because if you were walking out in the street and a bus was coming, I wouldn't be like, oh, shoot, that's going to hurt. <laughs> right? I sure hope I wouldn't. You should sure hope I wouldn't. And I hope you wouldn't. I hope you'd be like, Sarah. And like, you know throw something at me, run out after me, do something, exhort me, strongly encourage me to get the heck out the street, right? We need each other. Verse 26, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. That was the law of Moses. 
if somebody broke the law of Moses, two or three witnesses would be like, yep, I saw it. I saw it with my own eyes. And this guy's like, yep, me too. Boom. Let's stone them. They're dead. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Don't worry, I'm not going to stop there. But I want to remind you that Pastor Abby has preached quite a bit on being familiar with God. That is literally what we're talking about. Complacency. Indifferent. Becoming so familiar, you're like, oh, God won't do anything. You know what? I watched porn last week and I didn't get smited. So he's not going to do anything. I'm just going to watch some more porn. Or, you know what? I, I cheated on my husband. He forgave me, so he'll forgive me again. Do you think Mike would forgive me again? He probably would because he's perfect. But, I mean, this is like this is how we treat the Lord is I'm going to go to this thing, this idol, this thing that I know is a sin. This is willfully sinning. I know it's a sin. I know it's not right. I'm going to do this because I want to. And you know what? God's not going to do anything about it because he knows that we, you know, these people are the ones that say in their heart, God isn't going to do good and he isn't going to do bad. Well, I asked God for this and he didn't show up for me. So He's not going to do any good in my life. He's not going to come through for me. He's not going to heal my kid. He's not going to take care of my finances if I tithe. He's not going to get me that job because I'm broke and my family needs it. He's not going to do anything good for me. And frankly, he's not going to do anything bad for me either. We have an understanding. I'm just giving you a lot of examples of complacency. But I, I promise you it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, we're saved. We now, and at last I see the light, right? Amy gets it. You endured a great struggle of sufferings. You went through some junk. Partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, people probably were like, uh, she's a Christian now. We don't want to hang with her. She don't drink anymore. So let's, we're, I experienced that. All my friends stopped being my friends because I stopped drinking. And partly because you became companions with those who were so treated. Oh, she's with those Jesus freaks now. We're done being friends with her. She's one of those weirdos. Heck yeah. Come be a weirdo with us. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Remember when you were like, take everything, Jesus. I don't care. I'll give you everything. I just want you. You can have my life. You can have my heart. You can have my relationship. You can have my job. You can have my finances. You can have my kids. I don't care, Jesus. I just want you. Remember that? That's first love. Amen. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. What's the promise? 
let me tell you, for yet a little while, a little while in God's time, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. God does not find pleasure in you drawing back, in your, in your indifference, in your becoming complacent. And I've been thinking a lot because obviously I'm reading this and I'm like feeling convicted in areas of my life. And I'm like, help me. Oh, Spirit, help me. How many mornings have I woke up and been like, oh, it's okay. I'm just going to go to work and I'm going to sleep a little bit longer and go to work and then I just won't have my Jesus time, whatever, you know. Imagine being married to your spouse and they just sit in the corner of your room. They just sit in the corner of your room. And when it's convenient for you, when you have when you wake up refreshed enough and you don't want to sleep an extra 15 minutes, when you feel like you have enough time or enough patience or enough energy or your kids are quiet or dinner is good and the chores are done and Facebook isn't interesting and all of the things. And then you're like, all right, husband, I guess I'll see what's going on with you today. Could you imagine what kind of marriage would that be? If Mike treated me that way, we, <laughs> it'd be scary. I wouldn't leave you, but I would make your life hell. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't make our life hell, right? He doesn't sit in the corner and say, uh, hey, whoa, remember? Uh, hey, he doesn't get out of the corner and say, here, come on, I'm going to force you. We're going to go and spend time together. No, he doesn't force us. Reinhard Bonnke said, there are no kidnapped people in heaven, only volunteers. He's not going to force you. He wants you to choose him all on your own. Choose him because you love him. Choose to spend time with him. Don't put him in a corner. Nobody puts baby in a corner. Don't keep him in the corner. I recently heard Jesus, most people, especially Americans. I'm so sorry. I'm American. I love America. Thank you, God, for America. But because we're, we have all that we need, we don't need anything. We tend to treat Jesus like he's the sprinkles on our Sunday, meaning ice cream Sunday, but also Sunday, Sunday. We're going to squeeze him in. We're going to top him on top of our life. We're going to live our life as we want. We're going to go to work, have our friends, do our thing, and we'll squeeze him in when we have time. We'll squeeze him in when it's convenient. Jesus is not a sprinkle on a Sunday, and I'm telling you, he won't be. He won't be some. He won't be part of. He is all in all. He is, he is your life. Your life is because he gave it to you. Every breath you have is because God in his mercy is giving it to you. Like he is life. He's not the sprinkles. My thing shut up. Okay. Amy, will you come and sit on the stool? That was cool. Hi huh, guys, I've been telling her to get a stool for a long time. She didn't do it because I told her. Obviously, she would have done it a while ago. She do what she won't. Jesus is not something we squeeze into our life. If he is, then 
I'm just going to risk you not remembering that I love you and I'm going to tell you that I would question if you're a Christian because I had to question this in myself okay I'm not condemning you I love you and I didn't want to say any of this tonight but God loves you and he wants you to know that he wants all of you and I'm not saying he wants you to quit your job leave your husband drop your kids off at the fire station. That's not what he wants. You can do everything from the cloud of his presence. Get it? The cloud? You can do everything with him. He doesn't want to be part of. He wants to be all of. Okay, I'm going to tell you my Reinhard Bonnke story to wrap up. It's so good. I'm giving him credit because I couldn't steal it. That would be dishonorable. And one day I'm going to meet him in heaven and he's not going to be mad at me. So I can't say it in an accent. I tried, but I just won't. Um, German isn't my, if it, if it was Russian, it would be a different story. Um, so there is a man who owns a house and in the house there's 10 rooms. Upstairs is five rooms. Downstairs is five rooms. And he decides to accept Jesus, and he loves Jesus. Well, Jesus came knocking. I'm probably going to butcher it. Jesus comes and knocks at his door, as Jesus does. And he says, yes, I would like to accept you, Jesus. Come and live in my home. I have ten rooms. I'm going to give you a room in my house. There's, I'm gonna give you the best room in the house. There's this big master suite upstairs in the corner. You get all the windows. It's got a jacuzzi tub. That's your room, Jesus. You get to live there. Jesus is like, I love you. All right, I'll go live in the master suite. That night, the man hears a knock at the door and it's a scary knock, like a big, like a boom, 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 boom. And he's like, what the heck is that? And he goes and he answers the door and it's the devil. And he's like, oh, uh-uh, I don't want anything to do with you. So he goes to slam the door, but the devil's already in the house. And he proceeds to wrestle with the devil. He proceeds to fight him. He proceeds to scream and tear and cry and wrestle. And he's saying, get out of here, get out of here. I don't want anything to do with you. Get out, you can't be here. Get out, get out, get out. And it takes all night long. All night long, he wrestles with the devil and finally he gets the devil out the door and he's exhausted. He's worn out. He's beaten. He's bruised. And Jesus comes down. He's like, oh, good morning. And he's like, Jesus, where were you? Where were you? I would, didn't you hear me wrestling with the devil all night? Why weren't you here? Why didn't you help me? Why weren't you here? And Jesus says, you gave me one room up in the corner. That's where I that's where I get to work. That's where I get to live is in the one room in the corner of the upstairs. And the man was like, "Oh, shoot. Okay, I get it. Okay. All right. That was my bad. My bad." So, Jesus, I'm going to give you the whole upstairs of the house. You get the whole upstairs. I'll keep the downstairs, you get the upstairs. Roomies, it's going to be great. This is going to be the best deal ever. Jesus is like, I love you. Okay, you know, if that's what you want to do, then I love you. That night, the man hears a scary knock at the door. Boom, boom, boom. 
He's like, oh God, I wonder if it's the devil. He's like, oh, I have to find out because we have to find out, right? Because curiosity killed the cat and almost this guy. So he's like, I'm just gonna, I'm just, I'm just gonna open the door just to crack. I'm not gonna open it all the way because if it's the devil, and so he does, he opens it just to crack and he sees the devil and he's like, oh no. And he goes to slam it, but the devil already had his foot in the door. So the devil comes in and this man proceeds to wrestle with the devil for hours. And he's wrestling and fighting and clawing and kicking and trying to get himself out of this. And finally, after hours and hours, he gets the devil out of his house. The next morning he goes to Jesus. He's like, where were you? I gave you the whole upstairs of the house. Didn't you hear? Couldn't you hear? You, you must have heard my screams. You must have heard my cries. You must have heard me calling for you, begging for you. You must have heard that I was battling the devil all night long. And Jesus said, you only gave me the upstairs. You only are letting me into that part of your life. And he says, son, why don't you give me the keys to the house? And the man was like, oh, I have let you come and live in my house when all along I need to give you the keys to the house and I'll live here with you. So he gives him the keys to the house and he says, Jesus, it's your house, the whole house, every part of it, every room, every inch, even the part that I'm gonna sleep in, it's yours. And I'm gonna stay here with you. That night, boom, 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 boom. Scary knock at the door. And the man's like, oh no, I know it's him. I don't even have to look this time. I know, I just know it. It's him, I don't wanna do this. And he's like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna do this. And he gets up to go get the door, but Jesus is already at the door. And he watches as Jesus opens the door, the devil sees Jesus and he goes, oh, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, sir. Uh, I'm at the wrong house, I think. I thought this was somebody else's house, sorry. I'm so sorry, uh, you, yep, nope, wrong house, sorry. And the devil runs away. As, as believers, as Christians, how often do we battle the devil? We battle addiction, we battle, you know, hard things in our marriage. We battle our wayward kids. We battle tough things in our job. We're battling, we're battling, we're battling, we're beaten, we're bruised, we're worn out. We're saying, God, where are you? Why aren't you here? Why aren't you here? Why aren't you here? My kids, I had a season where three of my kids tried to kill themselves in a matter of like two months. And I was like, God, where are you? Where are you? It's not that he didn't want to come. It's not that he, he didn't want to be there for the years that my marriage was hanging on by a thread. And I was like, God, where are you? Why aren't you here? He was like, you didn't give me your marriage. Sarah, give me your marriage. Sarah, give me your kids. You're holding on to them. I can't do anything. He showed me a picture of me standing between, between Mike and God. And I'm like, God, why don't you fix him? Why don't you do this? And I'm like, Mike, you should do this. Mike, you should do this. God, you should fix him. God, you should fix him. And all the while they couldn't even get to each other because I was blocking the way. So I would encourage you to really prayerfully think about 
the areas in your life that you really struggle, the areas in your life that are hard, the areas in your life that you feel like God just isn't showing up in. And I would encourage you to really be honest with yourself because there's no point in lying to yourself, let's be real. And ask yourself if you've given that to Jesus or if you're clinging to it, hoping that he'll just come and sprinkle himself in some ways. It's his way, it's his house. He can only do with what we give him. So stand up, we're gonna pray. We're gonna all pray together. I love you guys. You love me, remember? We have baptisms coming up on July 9th. And I know because it's Saturday night on July 4th weekend that you're all probably saved, <laughs> right? Let's be real, these are the super Christians. So maybe none of this even applied to you. But what I do know is that you're probably baptized. If you're not, you should get baptized. There is a, it is really, really powerful what happens in baptism. It's a covenant. It's a covenant between you and God. But I also want to encourage you as you're seeking your heart, you're, you're asking the Lord to search your heart as he's revealing these things and convicting you of these things and bringing correction because he loves you. And you, as you begin to lay these things down, you're right, God, I haven't given my job to you. You're right, God, I haven't given my finances to you. I haven't trusted you with this. I haven't trusted you with my marriage. I haven't trusted you with my kids. I haven't trusted you with my health. Whatever the case may be, as you begin to lay these things at his feet and choose to trust him, it may be wobbly, it may be shaky, and it may be a little nerve wracking. But as you choose to take the bold, courageous step in laying these things at his feet, trusting him with them, I encourage you to, to read in your Bible about consecration. And maybe this would be a good opportunity to reconsecrate yourself unto the Lord. It's like renewing your vows. I know a lot of really powerful, wonderful, amazing people who have been walking with the Lord a long time and they, they have been reconsecrated. They got baptized again. And it wasn't because they weren't saved. It was because they were wanting to give God everything all over again. Let's just do it, Lord. You can have everything. So pray about that. Consider that. Okay, let's pray. Hold out your hands like you're going to receive a gift. Like maybe Jesus is gonna come stand in front of you and take your hands. Jesus, just do that, that'd be cool. Thank you, God. God, we love you. Jesus, we know that you paid for us with your life, with every drop of your blood. We know that even in our sin, even when we were cheating on you with probably most of everything, you died for us. When we hated you, you died for us because you loved us. You came to have a relationship with us. You came to bridge the gap between us and our Father. And our Father wants and longs and yearns for a deep relationship with us. God, we're sorry. We repent. Holy Spirit, right now I ask that you search our hearts. And if there are things that we are withholding, if there are areas of our hearts that have grown cold, if there are parts of us that have grown complacent and indifferent towards you, if there is any part of us, God, that, that doesn't 
get moved when you walk in the room, when we don't even notice when you walk in the room. Touch that part, Lord. Holy Spirit, put your finger on that part of us. Put your finger on that part of our heart, God, and help us. Bring us correction. Bring us conviction. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us to be truly repentant. Help us to see and know and walk out what that means. Help us to renew our vows with you, God. We want, we want you to be our first love. We don't want to love anything but you. God, we love you and we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your kindness that doesn't give up on us, that even when we stray, you continue to say, come, come, come back. Come back, I love you. I have so much for you, come back. Hosea says that you will woo us into the wilderness and there you speak tenderly to our heart. There you, you help us to see hope again. You help us to see life again. We will, the song and dance of our youth will be renewed. And we will no longer call you our master, we'll call you our husband. God, we wanna be soft and squishy and vulnerable before you. We wanna give you everything. Help us, Holy Spirit, to even know what that looks like. We can't do it without you. So thank you for your presence. Thank you for your power and your grace and your mercy. We love you. Help us, Holy Spirit, to keep our eyes on Jesus. Help us, Holy Spirit, to come to the foot of Jesus every time we need anything, good or bad. And help us, Holy Spirit, to desire Jesus just for who he is and not because we need anything. God, we love you. We thank you for freedom. Thank you for freedom. There's freedom and it's only found in you. Only found in you. We love you in Jesus' name. So I'm gonna ask the ministry team to come up. And if there's anyone in here that you need prayer, maybe you're feeling convicted, you're not even sure why, you're feeling something. These people wanna pray with you. They wanna help you. They wanna come alongside you. We need each other. There's power in agreeing in prayer. So I encourage you, if you need any other kind of prayer for anything else, come get prayer. These are powerhouses. They love the Lord and they want to see you crazy in love with the Lord. They have so much so we love you. Happy 4th of July and have a wonderful weekend.